we're live. What is newsworthy? What can you do if you're not getting traditional mainstream media coverage? And it's one of the things I love about Hacker Noon. There are all of these great communities and online places where you can start stories. I also wanted to build a network when I didn't need one. I wasn't asking anything of them, but maybe that interaction would lead to something else, something synergistic or a new opportunity. Share one another's articles, comment on them, build up the influence of those around you. There's nothing more powerful. Hello and welcome to the Hacker Noon podcast, which is how hackers start their afternoons. I'm joined today by Sarah Evans, a digital PR expert who's here to tell us how she built a successful tech adjacent business from her dining room table. Sarah, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm going to kick us off with a super straightforward question. How does an individual person accumulate over 100,000 followers on Twitter? Did you buy some? You, you can level with us. We respect it at Hackanoon. You know what? I laughed at that question because I... Um, get similar questions from friends and family members, but the true story is I've been on Twitter since almost its inception. And in 2010, I was featured by Vanity Fair as one of America's tweet hearts. And that was one of the catalyst moments that just started uh, having followers kind of roll in. And I have just been amassing them since. Have I bought any? No, there, there's been no reason. In fact, sometimes I, I, don't even know how many I have, but it's really time. Um, and then a few really great major media moments that have helped. Nice. Next question. You have, right, these, uh, this community to me on Twitter, as mentioned, do we have a cameo? She <laughs> <laughs> just woke up. Sweet. Hi. What's her name? Zuzu. <laughs> oh, wow. Good morning. Good morning. <laughs> Bedhead. <laughs> we'll keep it going. It's what I was just about to say, right? You have this community that you maintain online. You have a four-year-old. You've made headlines for using social media to raise huge amounts of money. $160,000 in just two weeks to be exact. And you founded a PR business that's been seen on CNN, Mashable, Forbes, Hackernoon.com. Not to mention you've worked with Adobe, the Shorty Awards, PayPal. So, I mean, I guess my question is, do you know Elon Musk? <laughs> I um, I don't know how it all gets done at times. I mean, it's a, you know, a large part of my career started pre-kids. You know, I, I was able to put in a lot of hours um, and things have ebbed and flowed over the years. And I've taken significant time off with both of my children so I could really appreciate those first years and, and be with them. Um, I don't have any necessarily trade secrets to to make someone uber successful except it really is the grit the hard work and and putting in the effort um i don't know that i have any sort of balance between work and home life i find that if i give one more to one area one can can suffer and i always want my clients to be happy i want my family to be happy and luckily i have a husband who is an amazing um partner and, and cheerleader and we support one another we're both full-time working but it's been an amazing 
career and I feel like I'm just getting started. I feel like I've just dipped my toes in and we're, uh, you know, I'm looking for new opportunities all the time because the digital media landscape is changing, which means digital PR is changing. And it just so happens I have an immense passion for technology, a passion for startups. So yes, I get to work with big brands, but I get to do a lot with, um, you know, startups and, and folks that have really unique stories that need to be told. Fantastic. I want to I hear more about that, that career path that you have followed. Uh, can you sort of share the long story, short version behind how you started this business from your dining room table? Okay, so the long story short, short story long. I started my career in healthcare PR um, with uh, director of communications for a community college. And all of that time was when digital media was just birthing. Oh, and yeah. Turn it up for you, okay? She wants to hear oh, you, Miss Natasha. Oh, you did. Okay, got it. We're nice and loud. Um, and all of that was when digital media was just getting started. All of the companies I worked for at the time were not really, they were very hesitant about uh, testing things out. And I was very young and energetic and wanted to try out everything. So in the evening time, I was moonlighting and freelancing. And um, at the same time, I started a blog about digital PR and digital media and started a full-time consulting business. And at some point it outpaced my real life. And I had a great boss at the time who said, you, you likely need to make a decision because you, you're going to burn out. Um, and I transitioned out of my, my real life job um, over a period of three months, launched my company and have not looked back in 11 years. Wow. And how would you summarize the philosophy or career strategy or attitude that enabled you to do that and take that leap? I think it's fail hard, fail fast, and then keep going. Um, I, I feel like all of the great moments I've had in my career have been either preempted by or shortly followed up by some um, major failure as well. I've pivoted several times um, publicly. I don't know that people would necessarily notice, but behind the scenes, when I first started, my entire concept was about, yes, honey, you can go over and get my phone. It's over by your brother. Um, so when I first started, uh, people didn't have in-house social media. So as I was doing PR, I was consulting on social and a lot of times we were running social for companies and brands. Well, then it all went in-house. So we had to pivot again and think about where brands needed the most support and help. And I've gotten a lot back to my roots now where I still do digital PR, but a lot of my time is still spent on strategic communications and just helping brands develop their PR processes, how executives, how executives speak and talk in the media. Um, so it, it kind of has come full circle with what's old is new again. And so I keep, keep growing in that way. I'm very interested to hear a story about a time, a time that you failed hard. <laughs> Ooh, let's see. <laughs> um, I, oh, okay. I've got several, so I'm trying to select one I feel you know, sure. good about telling. Um, one of the things I discovered about myself, you know, everyone wants to think you start this company and you can do everything, you know, your, your janitor, your COO, all of this. And I started to not only grow myself, but grow with other people and bring folks in. Um, at one point, the, back when we lived in Chicago, I turned my living room into our office space. I realized after bringing folks in that I am not a good manager. I don't enjoy it. I don't find joy in it. Um, and it was taking away from what I really do. I love doing the work. I am very much a practitioner, a tactitioner. 
And um, while I get to spend a lot of time, uh, even that tactician is the strategy that's like, you know, people pay me for my brain to help come up with the ideas and then we, we can execute. Um, but I realized it was just something I was not good at. And I, I had to, once again, kind of change how I did things. Now I run really on, you know, digital correspondent consultant. I have an unagency. So I have folks that I work with that are all senior level. Um, they don't need a lot of management and guidance and they're all contracted in based on the client. So we bring a very specific group of people together to meet whatever that client's needs are. So I now, instead of a manager, I view myself as the master collaborator. Nice. And you mentioned that a lot of your time is spent on strategic communications. You mentioned now that you're bringing in people on an, uh, on an account-based sort of uh, recruitment strategy. What are the biggest problems right now this year that you're solving for businesses and how are you kind of confronting the challenges uh, that 2020 has brought? I'll say one of the things that remains consistent is everyone wants media coverage. So how, you know, how do you do that in the midst of a global pandemic? One of the things we did was take a step back with every single client, even how my own brand online to help educate and talk about what does the media landscape look like right now? Um, what is newsworthy? What can you do if you're not getting traditional mainstream media coverage? And it's one of the things I love about Hacker Noon, there are all of these great communities and online places where you can start stories and pitch other people who aren't traditional journalists, but who are um, enthusiasts or writing experts to talk about your story. That's, I mean, what I love to share is for the, the untold stories and things that can start elsewhere and you have to build validation. So I'm, I'm working with um, brands that don't have national or international validation to look at what is your social validation? What is your media validation and where can you start? You don't have to go after the New York Times for every single story. It doesn't have to be a tier one moment because, frankly, most of the times you're, you're not ready for that. And you might have a nuanced piece that may be appropriate for that, but it might take three to six weeks to six months of pitching. So what do you do in the meantime? And I think that's just an ongoing consistent problem piggybacked on the top of there's there's a, a global pandemic and things are changing and for a while and it still exists many reporters were being transitioned off their beats to either focus on covid or um, include covid uh, so things are changing in in that realm so that's one part and then just taking steps back internally to do to take some time to focus on helping executives become better pr partners um, we, we often don't have time to take a step back to help those folks support the PR team to get more opportunities. And I think we've seen a time where we can do that right now. I really like what you said about uh, pitching smaller, more niche communities um, and how it's shifted that way and a way necessarily not every moment has to be, you know, the New York Times. Um, we are obviously all for the decentralization of, of that kind of exposure. Um, and I'm interested to know from you how else pitching has changed. I had some PR experience uh, coming out of university as an intern, and I remember it was a very sort of formal and structured uh, way, and you pitch this, you know, very formula formulaic press release, um, and you have to do it in a certain way, and it's all very, how else, other than pitching, you know, writers for Hacker Noon um, and other niche communities, how else has pitching changed in recent times? Well, it's not only recent times, but over the years, as you build relationships with media, or media will say their preferences on social media, that I don't 
necessarily always have to do formal pitching. Or if I do a formal pitch, I'll look for them on social media and say, hey, I sent you something on this, especially if it's really urgent and important or if I'm offering an exclusive. For example, if I'm reaching out to um, a major tech outlet with a big funding announcement and I know I have a specific writer I like to work with on those, I'll you know ping them on social and talk to them there. But I think a lot of it is um, relationship building. And one of the things that I always do, and always, I mean weekly, uh, when I connect with journalists on LinkedIn, for example, one of the best practices I've done throughout my career is I don't only pitch my own clients. I always want to see myself as a resource for media. So if they're um, on urgent deadlines or they need support finding a source, I will always be that go-to for them. So I always offer that up first before saying, you know, I want to pitch you anything. And I might not even have anything to ever pitch them, um, depending on what they write about. But I will be a resource because people change jobs. They have coworkers who might be interested in something. And over the years, I've built really good relationships, um, especially in the TV space with people coming to me saying, last minute, I need a source for this. I need a source for this. Can you help me get you know, someone on for this segment? And I'm always happy to do that. That's a really interesting tip um, and a good segue into, I wonder what your advice would be for young professionals who want to get into tech, don't necessarily want to learn to code, um, but are interested in marketing and PR and communications. Um, and what, uh, what else other than positioning yourself as a resource when you don't have a vested, vested interest in what you're sharing? Um, what other tips do you have for people who want to start this kind of self-branding and positioning online and build that network? I think one of the things I'm most jealous about, and maybe there's two things I'm most jealous about um, for, for our, the next generation in that position is one, look at what's not working, even what I'm doing, what's not doing well, and how can you change it and find a new way to make influence or do something really new and innovative. I miss that. I mean, I, I've always kept that passion, but at some point you do get so ingrained in your um, work routine and, and the family life and, and all of that. I, I miss seeing what the next generation is going to innovate and do. So I'd say, don't look at everything that everyone else is doing. See if there's something new and innovative you can do. And number two, I wish these resources would have been at my disposal when I was a young professional coming out of college. I was still making phone calls. And what I did was identify people with the job I wanted to have. And I would call them and say, can I have a 15 minute interview on the phone? Or can I come drive and see you and do an informational interview? And now you can connect with those people online. And it used to be you needed to have an internship to get a job uh, but, you know, internships were really hard to come by. And now you can create all kinds of experience online. You can build up your resume by actually just doing, creating, being, sharing, and show experience that way. You say, I can't get an internship, but I want to work at XYZ and they need this experience. Well, I'll just build it. I'll create it and show them I can do it. Um, and I think those are, are two things I'm most jealous about and two things that I think are, are the things that can set um, these folks apart. I like that a lot. Um, I'm interested to switch, stay with advice, but but switch to from the perspective of maybe the founders or uh, CMOs that you might be working with at the moment as a PR specialist in a crisis, um, in a very strange time. What would be your advice to startup founders who are simply looking to bootstrap strategies to stay afloat this year? I think for these folks, they have to see where their dollar is going to go the furthest. Um, as a PR person, I will say PR tends to be a bit more um, 
costly, but you're also laying the foundation for what comes next. It's not always just about what you see in the media as far as PR goes, because I view marketing as what gets people in the door. PR is what keeps people coming back. So you're thinking about what are all these touch points? What are all the things we can do to connect with community? That said, not everybody has the budget to do that. So you might have to say, you know, we have to put a Band-Aid on this and we're going to look at paid ads in the meantime just to get traffic coming in and we'll try to remain consistent with some messaging and and, um, and maybe keep a, a backlog of story ideas and opportunities, human interest moments, things we have coming down the pipeline. So I'd say really examine where you can make every dollar count. Um, and, and when you're ready to engage with maybe the more PR side of things, just know that it's a long-term commitment. It's something that, um, takes your brand to a, another level, but if, if budget is an issue issue, it might not be the best place to invest, um, those dollars, especially when, when funding is very tight. You mentioned the channel of paid advertising there um, and also creating content. Uh, another thing that we always see, or you know, all these buzzword headlines every year is influencer marketing. I don't know if that's something that you're into, but a guilty pleasure of mine is influencers in the wild on Instagram. I don't know if you follow the account. Yes. It makes me laugh daily. I adore it. Um, do you think, given sort of recent events um, and, you know, satire accounts like this that have millions of followers, do you think there's any chance of the tide turning on disingenuous, highly contrived storytelling um, and sort of things becoming a little bit more genuine, a little bit more real? Um, how, does, how do your strategies um, to, to raise awareness um, differ now in terms of people being a little bit more allergic maybe to certain kinds of PR, certain flavor? I love that you asked this question. Um, last year, well, 2019, um, I really focused on talking about this. Anytime I would go speak to a group of PR professionals or, or um, practitioners, I would talk about this um, really bursting point of, of influencers and influencer marketing. And I really said, we're going to reach this time where aspirational is no longer attractive, um, that we're looking for educational, inspirational type of folks, things who have done things versus like your question, is this real life? If you've ever followed the subreddit, um, Instagram versus reality, and you see what's really happening during this global pandemic, I'm like, I, I don't, I no longer care about the things, some of the things that I found really attractive or interesting at that point in time. And I really do see a more emphasis on real, um, one of the areas that I, I tend to focus on from a PR standpoint is really the B2B influencer marketing world, which is completely different than the Instagram, YouTube influencers of the world. It's a completely different demographic. And those B2B influencers tend to be more real because they're talking about um, software or products that they're using in their professional lives. And you're seeing almost human or real life case studies of things in action so you can make better decisions. In fact, there was a um, report that came out, I guess, a week or two ago from top ranked marketing that showed all of the opportunities for B2B influencer marketing and talking about always on programs, meaning brands have to do, keep them on at all times for them to be most successful in the B2B space versus maybe B2C where they have little, you know, um, budget allocations and do campaigns and it feels very segmented or, um, people viewing it might become disenfranchised because it just doesn't feel real. So I think that side of things, we're going to see a major shift. And I also predict an increase in the B2B um, influencer marketing space. 
That's interesting. I would I would also like to know, in terms of B two B, how does that, um, how has that changed? First of all, in this year, how how has your strategy changed um, in terms of, I guess, the content that you're putting out there and the tone. Um, one of the things I'm quite interested in is is how to market and how to communicate in a time where marketing can feel a little bit icky, actually. Yeah. Um, you know, you have to strike a, a right tone and, and the chances of being tone deaf can be quite high. Um, what would be your advice to, to people in communications who really just want to keep awareness up, keep engagement up, but are afraid of, of tone policing and all the various things that are happening online right now? It can be, it can be scary out there. I'm glad you mentioned that. I was looking for my um, daily compass. I created an emotional compass that I share with brands also. And this was something that happened back in March. As soon as this happened, I thought, oh my goodness, like people are really going to have to be um, forthright in their communication and be very mindful behind the scenes because not everyone is impacted the same way during these times. So I created this emotional compass and really what it does before you create especially on the PR side of things, um, but I'll share it with my marketing counterparts as well, to think about all of the things people might be experiencing right now. Granted, these could be things that people are experiencing at any time, but we're seeing them of mass proportions, like job loss and furloughed, sick loved ones, are they themselves or ill, um, increased uh, separation from loved ones and family members, so an increase in anxiety, depression, uh, worry, those sorts of things. So it's a bulleted list of things to really look at and think about before you put out content. I think in that B2B space, we immediately saw a rise in webinars, educational content, like all of those things that, that have been around for years, but we just saw an influx in these things because people were home. We have a captured audience. We're seeing an increase in, in video watching, even um, TV watching. So um, I think we're gonna see another shift now, what's next out of that? And maybe it's a technology influence in those webinar capacities where you see like the Zoom breakout rooms, more opportunities to connect and network because our in real life opportunities are diminished or decreased right now. So I think we're gonna see some you know, um, innovation in that area. I love the idea of that emotional map. That's, that's such a good idea. Have you published that? You should publish that. I'll say, I, I have it, I've tweeted it, but I'll, um, I, I can share it with you awesome. to um, pass along. Emotional awareness, leadership, influence, careers, um, strategy, these are things that you are quite vocal about, um, having stalked you on Twitter. Um, I'm just interested to, to sort of distill that, I guess, into some career advice um, to anybody who might be listening, who wants to either get into PR, get into tech, or found their own successful startup. What would be your sort of ultimate advice to, to give to somebody in that position? I think when you are, uh, especially when you are a, a new graduate or you're a current student or just new to the space, you never have more of an opportunity to get someone's attention to talk about themselves. And I know this sounds crazy, um, than you do in that position. So one of the things I did as a new grad, and I mentioned this earlier, is I made a list of all the people who had either accomplished or had the job title I aspired to have and I asked them for 15 minutes of their time for me to just interview them about themselves. I wanted to hear how they did it. I wanted to hear what um, advice or best practices they had. I also wanted to build a network when I didn't need one. I wasn't asking anything of them, but maybe that interaction would lead to something else, something synergistic or a new opportunity. Or they'd say, hey, I know so-and-so. 
here. Um, so I'd use those opportunities that you have now where you're not asking anything of them, but you're allowing them to kind of share their own journey and you can use that in a way to help you. And it seems like very soft advice. This isn't, you know, tactically driven advice, but it's something that I think is, is immensely useful. And because of technology, you're only a tweet away, a LinkedIn connection away. Um, and, and that is, is really beautiful. Um, maybe to, to draw um, more focus to making it actionable, can you share a story from your own career about a time when synchronicity or, um, you know, a, a connection you made in the past paid off in the presence? That's every day of my life. Um, I mean, this advice, build a network when you don't need one. When I first got on Twitter, for example, I, I was just using it as a professional um, and I was looking for ways to connect with media and other target um audience members and community members. Uh, and over time, all of those relationships, I don't think a week has gone by in the past 11 years where some relationship that I've made online hasn't resulted in something. I mean, just yesterday, I got a call from a, a friend that I made on Twitter. She's a celebrity publicist. She said, oh my gosh, we haven't talked in a few weeks. Can we please catch up? And we got on the phone yesterday just to catch up. And by the end of that conversation, had found two synergistic overlaps of where we had clients that could really benefit from knowing one another and we catch up like that. But that isn't someone that I would have necessarily met on my own. I, okay. So this weekend I filmed for a TV show and I'll be promoting it this week of a mainstream TV show where I'm going to be doing some tech tips for them. Also a producer connection that I made online that I don't know I would have made any other way. And I wasn't asking anything of that person. It was just someone we followed each other. We're sharing advice. And then she thought of me when she needed someone for this segment. So, I mean, these happen all the time. And this happens for my clients too. Um, the relationships, your PR person is really like a relationship hub. And I really feel the best people are that. So yes, I'm talking about myself, but that's just a personal example. And I can, I can share that news out with clients and, and help others. Great. Thank you so much for sharing all of your experience and advice. You've got, I suppose, 60 seconds of uh, free air time to shout about anything you feel is important for the Hackanoon audience to hear before we wrap up. I think it, be kind to one another. I think that's the most important thing. I tell my children every day you know, before I drop them off at school, now distance learning, um, listen, laugh, and learn. And those are my three pieces of, of advice I try to keep together too. Share one another's articles, comment on them, build up the influence of those around you. There's nothing more powerful than, than to build your own influence than by building up those around you. And I think it's, it's important. And Hacker Noon has extreme potential to, for everyone in the community to, to make that um, a reality. Absolutely. A rising tide lifts all boats, as they say. Yes. Thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Thank you.